right. Well, why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Habakkuk. It is good to be in the Minor Prophets. Amen? Oh, I love it. Why don't you find your Bibles and go with me to the book of Habakkuk. This book was written like 2,600 years ago, and yet I hope that uh, even last week you're getting a glimpse of this and, and, and realizing it is completely relevant for us today. Because the world in which Habakkuk was living was so messed up, and, 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 and we saw him last week just struggling with, with what he was seeing in his culture. All of this evil and, and strife and injustice and, and his real problem was it, it seemed like God wasn't doing anything about it. Like, like God, are you, are, you, are you seeing all of this? Do you see what's happening? Like, are, are, are you going to stop this? Are you going to do anything about it? And, and, and one of the things that we took away from this, I think it's important that we don't move past it too quickly. One of the lessons uh, that we learned from his example there is that we want to take our struggles and our questions directly to the Lord. It's important that we're able to do that. It's a sweet thing that we can. But it also means that one of the things we're going to learn is that he is working, and, and sometimes his sovereignty may surprise us. And so uh, what we saw was, was, was God was showing him, like, he is up to something. He's got a plan, and he shared his plan in, in, in verse 6. If you're there, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I'm, I'm going to raise up the, the Chaldeans. That, that is the Babylonians. And so what he's telling them is, I'm going to raise up Babylon, and I'm going to use Babylon to bring judgment on my people people, Judah, because of their wickedness and all of their rebellion. That's the plan. That was not the plan and not the answer uh, that Habakkuk was looking for. And, and in fact, like poor Habakkuk, we just kind of like left him there uh, last week, just, just kind of hanging out there. You can, you can picture Habakkuk like hearing that plan and responding to that and just kind of standing there like, what? Like you, you gotta, you gotta be kidding me. What? Here's here's the question tonight. What do you do when you don't understand God's plan? Maybe you've been praying and and asking God for to to, to work in 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 some way, and it just seems like He's not really listening. It seems like um, if He is listening, He's just taking way too long and things are just moving uh, too slow. And, or, or, or maybe he does answer and he doesn't give you the answer you were looking for and you don't like his plan. Maybe you've been um, hoping and, and, and looking for that special somebody, right? You're like ready for finding the husband, finding the wife. In fact, you are so ready to have some like cute dating pics uh, on your profile that you are even willing to start uh, checking somebody out right before Valentine's Day, even though you know that that's going to cost you and you're going to have to buy like chocolates and teddy bears and all of that. You're like, God, I'm in. And yet what you find instead is that you're just kind of swiping left on the dating app and in despair and questioning your life and questioning like why 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 am i alone or maybe it's some health issues you're dealing with and and you maybe it's you maybe it's somebody in your family and you've been asking god to really bring some healing but instead of healing things seem to just get worse or it, it might be um you're asking for some changes at work but um things aren't improving and instead, you're just you're feeling the stress and the grind, and it's just weighing you down, uh, and, and you, you you feel exhausted. You just feel uh, weary, uh, just like every day I got to get up and do it again. 
Maybe, maybe there's some uncertainty in your future. And you've been asking, like, you want to follow the Lord's lead. You're asking him to, like, lead me, show me. Wouldn't it be awesome if he just kind of wrote it in the sky or, or, or did something like that? And, and it doesn't seem to be very many open doors for you to walk through right now. And, and, and so you just feel like you're left, like, I, I just don't know what God's doing right now. I don't get it. Or, or maybe you're feeling weighed down by a lot of the tension that we've been experiencing. This is an important weekend for us. It's Sanctity of Life Sunday and Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow. We're celebrating some important things, and yet the reason that we have to, to celebrate and, and fight for those things is because of the things that we're seeing in our culture. And, and, and maybe you're feeling weighed down by the, uh, the conflicting opinions on coronavirus restrictions and all the politics and, and hatred and, and violence and injustice. And, and you're like, God, I'm, I'm praying for these things. Why aren't these things getting better? Like, why, uh, Lord, we're not seeing things improve. It doesn't seem like you're answering. It doesn't seem like you're moving very fast. Now, we believe that everything that happens, uh, everything that's happening in your life, everything that's going on right now, none of that has taken God by surprise, and, and, and it hasn't changed his plan at all. He, he has a plan, but sometimes we just don't understand it. So what do we do? How, how do we respond? What, what, what do we do when things just don't make sense? Well, here's the big idea. Here's the thing that I want you to take away. This is the thing that Habakkuk is going to have to learn here tonight is this. Sometimes we just have to wait. And sometimes we just have to have faith that God's plan is perfect. Sometimes we just have to wait and have faith that God's plan is perfect. It's not always immediately apparent what God is doing, what he's up to, and how all these things are going to work out. And sometimes it actually looks like instead of like improving, things are going backwards, like they're going in the, in the wrong direction. And, and we're going to have to learn to be patient and believe and not give up hope. So uh, if you got your Bibles, let's, let's start reading. We're going to be in chapter 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. Okay, so, so we saw Habakkuk opened the book with this complaint, like, God, I'm, I don't like what I'm seeing. And, and God responded and gave him the answer in verses 5 through 11, and that was that Babylon's going to bring judgment. Now in verse 12, we pick up with Habakkuk's response to all of that. Here's what he says. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them up, brings all of them up with a hook, and he drags them out with his net, so he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations Forever? So, so here's, here's Habakkuk's response. Here's, here's basically what he's saying. Like, God, how could you do that? How, how can that be your plan? Like, I know, I know we've messed up. Like, I know we deserve a timeout. You should take our keys away from us or, or, or you know, like give us some community service or whatever that might be. But, but, but Babylon attacking us, like they, they're actually worse than we are. 
And, and what he tries to do here, he's trying to think logically in verse 12. He, he, he's starting to review his theology. He's going back to what he learned in, in seminary 101. These are the things I know about you, God. Are you not from everlasting? That, that means you've been around. You, you've seen it all. You, you're the one uh, that has all the answers. You're the only one who, who is the self-existent one. And, and then he says, look at, look, look at it, verse 12. He says, oh, Lord, my God. And notice the, the, the personal pronoun there. He's just reminding God of the covenant relationship that, that he has with his people, which is why, in his mind, that they shouldn't die. They shouldn't be wiped out. He says, my God, my, my holy one. He's reflecting on the fact that, that because God is holy, that means he's totally good, he is totally righteous, he is, he, he is set apart and, and separated from sin. He's completely pure, which he's going to say again in verse 13. Like, like God is holy, God is completely pure. And he says there that, that you have ordained them in judgment, which, which is just a reminder that he knows that God is a just God and that he judges sin rightly. And he said, like, like, look, God, I, I get why that's necessary right now. But then he looks at his enemy, verse 14, you've made mankind like the fish of the sea. So, so we're all in this, this vulnerable position where we could be exploited, where we, where we could be dominated. And then he, it says in verse 15, that, that word he there is referring to, to Babylon, the, the wicked enemy, this, this nation that God is going to use to bring judgment. Verse 15, he, he brings all of us up with his hook and, and drags us out with his net. So, so he's using this fishing imagery. Any, any fishermen, we have anybody who love to fish? Like, come on, somebody's got, okay, somebody. Wait, wait one person who likes to fish. Um, fishing is pretty fun. It, it's relaxing, right? Unless you're a fish. Then it's terrifying. And, and so, so think of Poor little Nemo and, and Dory so that you start to feel bad about it. That's the point that Habakkuk's trying to say. Like, we are the fish. The whole world is all living under the threat of this evil, maniacal world power that's bent on global domination. We're, we're the fish here that can't swim away. And, and, and he's just going to ruthlessly capture us all and bring us under oppression and humiliation. And things are going to get ugly. It, 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 it's going to get uh, tragic and horrible for everybody. Except for Babylon, except for the fishermen, right? It says, uh, verse 15, that he, he rejoices and is glad. Well, why is he rejoicing? He had a good day on the lake, right? He had a good day. He's going to grab the tartar sauce. Everything's going great for him. But then he, then he reminds God how twisted this enemy is. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, this guy sacrifices to his net. So you can imagine him telling some fish stories. And, and, you know, he's bragging about this sick net that he's got, and it, like, took out all the fish. And then he bows down to his net, which is super weird. But what that means is, like, the imagery there is, is, is that he's idolizing his own strength and his own accomplishments. Like, Babylon's sitting up here going, I did this. I've got the power. I'm better than everybody. You just, there's so much arrogance and so much injustice here. It says that, that, that he's living in luxury and his, and his food is rich. He's living large off of the oppression of the weak and, and the vulnerable. And, and so Habakkuk is, is trying to do the math here, and something's not adding up. Like, like God, you're, you're a holy God? You're, you're a a loving God, you're a just God, and you're going to use this guy? 
You, verse 13, you who are of, of pure eyes than to see evil, you, you cannot look at wrong. Why, why, so why do you remain silent when a wicked man swallows up the man more righteous than he? Like, like God, I get it. Like, we may be bad, but these guys are really bad. They're, they're worse than we are. At least we've got a few people that, that love God. But God, this, this just doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. And then to make matters worse, verse 17, he's, he's looking at this saying, like, look, God, God if, if, you don't, if you don't stop him, he's just going to keep mercilessly killing nations forever. When is this going to stop? Who's going to put an end to this? Who's going to make this right? And so he's wrestling with his theology and God's expressed plan. But, but, but let's pick up in, in um, chapter 2 now, and, and we're going to see uh, a little bit further the response here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what he does. Like, I'm not, I'm not understanding God. I don't get this. I, I don't uh, see how this plan is coming together, how this makes sense, how this is fair, how this is just. But then chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. So I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come it will not delay. So I think there's some application for us here. There's, I want to give you, this is the first of two responsibilities that we have when we don't understand God's plan. Here's the first. Wait for it. Wait for it. Habakkuk climbs up on this this watch poster, this, this tower, where they would have, they would have built this tower near, uh, near the guard uh, gates so that they could look out and they could see what's going on and so that they could also warn uh, of impending danger if, if they've got enemies uh, coming in. But, but, but this is really important. Why is Habakkuk going up there? He tells us why. why. Why is he going up there? He says, I'm going up on the tower because I want to see what you're going to say to me. Meaning, he's expecting God to answer him, and he's going to wait to hear what he's got to say. Now, like, like he's just challenged and, and questioned God. So, so, so this might be Habakkuk kind of like all upset, crossing his arms, sitting down like, I ain't going anywhere until I get an answer on this one, God. But at least he's waiting for the Lord. I think that's pretty significant. That he's still engaging with God. He hasn't given up his confidence yet that, that, that God can and will answer him. He hasn't lost his faith that God's still the one that's in control and he's the one that's going to do what is right in the end. He will. Like, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. It's still a little confusing, but he's not wrong that God is holy and God is just and God will do what is right. It's significant for us to, to remember this when we're struggling, when, we, when we're wrestling with this, we don't understand. It's important for us to wait for God to answer and reveal his plan. Rather than, rather than dismissing him and, and, and walking away for God, from God, or, or rather than just rushing out and doing our own thing without him, that, that we would wait for him, that we would engage with the Lord when we're not understanding in fact, one commentator said it this way, the, the, the faithful, godly protest starts with the personal address 
to God, saying, oh God, how could you allow this? But the unfaithful complaint and doubt starts with the impersonal, where you start talking about him in the third person. Like, how could God allow this? You see the difference? Like, as if he's, as if he's not there, as if he's, as if he's not listening. So important that we make sure that we take our, 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 our complaints, our questions, and our struggles directly to God and that we're waiting for him to respond and reveal his plan, which I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's one of the things we're going to learn. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to answer us and tell us all the things that he's doing, but it's pretty gracious that he does, and he, and he does here. He responds to Habakkuk, and actually, um, chapter two, this is the last time that we're going to hear God speak in this book. So here's what he says. Write this down. I want you to write this down. I want you to be able to like, put it on a tablet. Somebody ready to run so they can spread the news. Other people are going to need to hear this. Here it is, verse 3. Still the vision awaits its appointed time. The phrase appointed time means that God planned it. He put it on the calendar. Like this, this is not random. This is not chance. This isn't like, like the weather or, or the outcome of a, of a football game. I was waiting for my signal. See if I, see if I got anything. Uh, okay, I got, my, I got my signal. I knew my Browns were going to lose tonight, but it's not up to chance here. Uh, it, God's, God's not sitting here uh, saying like, you know, like, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I feel like on that day, you know, when I wake up in the morning. We'll, we'll no. It's going to happen because God said it's going to happen. I love what he says here, verse 3. If it seems slow. It's like God's acknowledging, like, I get it. It seems like I'm taking a long time for, for you. But if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It's just this reminder that God's timing is not ours. In fact, if you want to reference on this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 is important. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. And God uh, reminds us that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Like the economy of time in, 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 uh, in the, the Godhead is completely different than us. And he says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Like we are so limited in our perspective. So who are we like, to, to, to put the God who exists outside the bounds of time on a timer or on a stopwatch and tell him he'd better hurry up? Uh, maybe you've experienced this during the pandemic. Um, I, I know many of you are working from home which means that you are, and your kids are at school at home, which means that they're barging in uh, to your office on a regular basis, and they need things. And, and so if, if it's anything like uh, it's been in my house this year, some, some of the phrase that has gotten thrown around a lot is just a minute. Like if they're, if they're running in and they've got something, Dad, I need you to do this, or I want this, like I can't find Mom, uh, which is a crisis in our house, that, then like coming to me, I'm just going to tell like just a minute. Like I'll get to that just a minute. Like, I'm, but, but the problem is they have to keep asking over and over again because quite honestly, most of the time I get wrapped up in something that I'm doing and I forget. But see, God, when, when God says he's going to do something, he doesn't forget about it and have to be reminded. Like, whoops, sorry about that. Like, like he, he's not telling us just a minute, and then he gets wrapped up in things that he's taking care of the universe. And like, ah, I forgot about that. No, no, no. Like, it, it might seem like nothing's happening. 
It, it might seem like God's not doing anything or like he's being slow to get around to taking care and fixing this mess that we're in. Wait for it. He will. But here's the reason that we struggle with this. The reason that we're, we, we wrestle and, and we feel like uh, it's, it's just not happening, it's not happening on the time frame that we want, and it's so hard for us living in this moment is because we are living in this already not yet reality. We've talked about this before, that, that as believers in this moment, we, God has already assured us of our salvation and he's made us right before him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But he has not yet fulfilled his promise to return when he's going to restore all things. And so for right now, that means we have to live in the consequences of the darkness and the brokenness of this world. We're feeling the tension and that weight of living in the already, so thankful for that, but not yet. But because we believe in God's providential sovereignty over all things, it means that whatever happens in your life, whatever has gone on, whatever, even if, you're, if you don't like it, you're struggling with it, no matter what, all the things that have happened in your life, none of that has taken God by surprise. And it is all part of his plan. Nothing happens outside of his orchestrating control. But that doesn't mean that God is responsible for the evil. God is not responsible for the evil and the brokenness in our world. It's not his fault. And yet, he's obviously allowed these things to happen. And in that sense, it is all part of his plan, which, thankfully, this plan includes some really good things. So we've got this hope that he's going to come, he's going to return and set all of things right. So, so his good plan, he has done what is necessary in order for us to live for him and to glorify him. And one day, we're going to get to live with him and, and worship him and enjoy him forever, which is a pretty sweet promise. That, that, that he's, one day, he's going to wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. We're going to live with him in glory. But we're not there yet. And so for right now, sometimes he just lets things happen right now that we're like, what? Really, God? And we have this promise in Romans 8, 28. You know this, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It is. like He is doing a good thing. He's working for our good. We believe that. And yet, it's, it's really important that we don't take that verse and, and just assume that that's a guarantee that, that we're going to have comfort and, and improvement of all of our circumstances in this life while we're here on earth. Because uh, his plan will, and eventually, it's going to culminate in restoration and joy. We not, may not experience a whole lot of that restoration here. And so I think this, is, uh, this, this command that God gives to Habakkuk is instructive for us. You gotta wait for it. How many of you like waiting? Anybody? Nobody. All right. Uh, I had to share this quote with you because I think that Enigma Montoya from The Princess Bride kind of captures and sums up the spirit of our culture when he says, I hate waiting. How many feel that? All right? Yeah. Uh, so we just, we don't want to wait for anything. Which is why Taco Bell Express exists, right? 
This is why Redbox probably doesn't have much of a future because who wants to like get in the car and drive a couple blocks down the road and get out of the car and have to go pick up a DV just to watch a movie? Are you kidding me? I don't want to wait for that. We're not used to waiting. But waiting is a part of being a disciple of Jesus. Meaning, waiting means that I'm, I'm not rushing out ahead of God and just do what I want and do what I think is best and, and try to fix things on my own. And it also means not getting angry and grumbling and complaining and accusing God when we don't like how long it's taking him to set things right. We don't like his plan. But, but it means we're just going to have to wait to see God's plan unfold. Now the question is, how do we do that? What, what, what is waiting look like? And, and part of the answer to that is found in verse 4. I want you to keep reading with me. Verse 4, this is so significant. He says this, verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But, check this out, the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shield. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Here's the second responsibility that we have when God's plan doesn't make sense, when we're struggling to understand it. First, we've got to wait for it, and then we've got to live by faith and just keep it as simple as that, that we would live by faith. If you have not already in your Bible, verse 4, the second part of that, Please put a star, circle that, underline that, hold your neighbor accountable, make sure that they've got that. That is the heart of the book of Habakkuk. This is it. This is the thing that he wants us to see. Like, this is what the book is all about. In fact, Paul actually ends up quoting uh, this verse in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And this was the truth that brought Martin Luther to salvation and actually sparked the Reformation. That, that God makes us righteous, not by our own righteousness, but by this righteousness of Christ that is imputed, is given to us when we put our faith and our trust in him. Those who by faith are made righteous shall live. And he's calling us to this, that we would trust in the Lord. In fact, God is actually uh, trying to call Habakkuk back to the basics of his theology that he'd already rehearsed to him back in, in, in verse 12. Like he's, he's our God, he's my God, and he's our rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you trust him? Do, do you believe? Don't, don't put your trust in anything else. Do you believe that he is your rock? That he is the firm ground that you can stand on? That it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. They're always going to be in flux. They're always going to be changing. And quite honestly, they might even get worse. But he does not change. So we can trust him. And, and notice this, when he says those who, who live by faith, verse 4, that, that little phrase there, it, it, it just shines out and, and standing in stark contrast to the darkness that's all around. This book is kind of gloomy. It's kind of dark. But there's, there's a difference here. This thing just like blazing glory right here in the middle of this book. And, and there's a difference in verse 4 between these two people. Notice it. He says, behold, his soul, and he's referring there to, to Babylon. That's the enemy. He's, he's talking about them again. Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's not upright within him. He is full of arrogance and evil, but, but, see the contrast? The righteous shall live by his faith. 
The humble man who trusts in the Lord is contrasted with the evil man who's full of pride, or the, uh, verse 5 says, the, the arrogant man. And of course, we know that James 4 tells us that God uh, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so part of waiting and living by faith is humbling myself. It's admitting this. I'm not God. I don't know better. I don't have a better plan. I can't fix these things. God doesn't have to answer to me. He doesn't have to make things clear. He doesn't owe me anything, but but I can trust him. And that humble faith is going to stand out against the darkness of the world of rebellious pride and rejection against God. Someone who puts their faith in God, that's going to that's stand out. In fact, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, we looked at this when we preached through this earlier in the year. It said that in, what we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's going to stand out. In fact, do we have that picture of that star? Can we put that up there? It stands out because of the contrast. That, that, that it, it shines out, and God is telling Habakkuk, like, I want you to shine like that. I see what's going on. I, 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 I know there's so much darkness, there's so much evil around you. I'm going to deal with that. But if you will trust me, then all these people in your community that are living in darkness, they are going to see your faith shining out in the way that you live. Are you living and shining out like that? Do people see your faith? When, when, when everyone's scrambling for answers and they're stressed out and they're anxious, do, do, they, do they consistently hear you like completely uh, convinced, pointing to Christ, that Jesus is the answer to all this mess. It's not trite. We believe it, that he is the answer. That I don't even have to understand the plan. I'm just trusting in his character. I know who he is. Even when I don't get it, even when some things don't make sense to me, I believe that he is holy. I believe that he's good. I believe that he's caring and faithful, that he is just. I believe it. Because I know who he is. So what does it look like for you to wait on the Lord in patient hope right now? Not giving up, not despair, not anxiety, but to wait. And to actually believe that his plan is perfect. That even when I don't understand it, I'm going to trust him. Because here's what we know about God. God does whatever he pleases. And everything God does is good and right. And right on time. Father, thank you so much for this truth. We, we love being able to bring our struggles. When we're seeing things in our world, this is messed up, God. But we believe, we have faith. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is our rock, the solid ground on which we stand. So we're thankful 
even for the hope. Lord, we don't always understand why it's taking so long, why we have to go through some things, and yet we trust that you are working all of these things for our good and ultimately for your glory. That's what we want, that you would get the glory that you deserve. And so we give you praise in Jesus' name.